Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacker Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Three mistakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. All right, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Kente Corner, your favorite casual Hoya basketball podcast. I'm your host, Bobby Bancroft, and here for the first time in a long time, I'm not sure how long it's been or how we got to this point, but anyway, back by popular demand, longtime regular here on Kente Corner, nationwide, Nolan. Nolan, I know that you haven't been on a while. It's almost like nothing's really changed, though, or, you know, depending on how you look at things. First of all, how's it going? It's going well. I I would say, I don't know when the last time I was on, but I, I think it's accurate to say nothing has changed. Um, which I guess the consistency is almost impressive at this point. Yeah, that, that's kind of the thing. It's like, well, nothing's changed, but at the same time, it's sort of unreal what we're sort of experiencing. So we're recording this on Monday night. Georgetown plays DePaul part two, kind of the game that, you know, if you love Ken Palm, this looks like the chance to break the streak. And um, as everyone knows, the streak is up to, 29 games in the Big East regular season, the longest Big East streak ever, Um, 34 games against major conference foes. It really doesn't seem real. There's so many different places we can start, but I know that you do a good job of, you know, posting clips of different plays. The offense hasn't been that great. It seems like it's kind of, it's become more one-on-one ball, but the defense I feel like is slipping into a spot that doesn't even seem possible. Which one do you want to start with? We can start with the offense, which I think okay. I I think Primo Spears has kind of become a bit polarizing, um, which I can't really fault the way he's playing. He's kind of doing what he's asked, and I think all things considered, he's probably squeezing out the most visibility. But it's just I don't know where the offense has gone the last few years compared to things they did before. Now maybe some of that early on is you had a really impressive offensive player and Jesse Govan who you could do a lot of things with. And since that point, it's been a traditional center. Um, but yeah, it just kind of turns into Primo or Brandon Murray, just trying to bail you out of offense. And then I think the Heath injury, not to give the program any excuses, but I, I do think that hurt the offense quite a bit with his shooting ability and he could handle a little bit, but it's, I would say the offense is bad, whereas the defense is just historically bad. Yeah, starting with the offense, just like you did. Clearly with Murray and Heath out, you know, Georgetown is 0-9 in the league. If everybody was healthy the whole time, which, you know, doesn't happen in team sports. Not sure how many more wins they would have, if any. But definitely with those two guys out. And I think we saw it in the Seton Hall game, where in the first half, Georgetown was 2-for-16 from deep they just don't have the three-point shooters you know I know Caden Rice last year got a lot of grief but you had a guy that could kind of there's a chance he could just go off but you know I mean in in that game between you know missing from three Bristol and Riley 
And, you know, Mazone, I guess, is kind of the guy that, you know, you're thinking maybe he can go off from three and he's shooting 31%. So it's tough, right? I mean, I think I think Primo Spears would have, it would be interesting and maybe it was never going to be the plan. But if he had a chance to play the two guard with Dante as the one, I mean, I know that these what ifs are kind of, what are they going to change? Maybe like one game or two games, but it's, it, yeah, it, it is just really difficult to see like what's trying to be accomplished. I will say before getting to the defense, we have seen enough from Jordan Riley now with the injuries that it's sort of, it's stunning that there were games this year where he really didn't play. Right. Yes. I, I think you look at him. I, I mean, he's clearly the best at maybe, well, a cook's length is a factor, but I think just as a pure athlete, Jordan Riley, just he passes that eye test. You can see why Florida State recruited him, that Kansas recruited him. He just kind of gets out there and makes things happen. Um, and it's it's hard to understand why he had a stretch of, what was it, like six DNPs. He's been, I mean, the efficiency with him is probably not going to be there yet. His shot obviously needs work, and he's going to turn it over a little bit too much. But it's it's pretty evident he, he could have had a much more sizable role. Well, I mean, even if, if you go back to the first game of the season, Coppin State, you know, you have to survive into overtime. Foul trouble is the reason he ended up getting in towards the end of the game, and then he played most mm-hmm. of overtime, and that was at a point where Jay Heath wasn't eligible yet. So, you know, even like right off the bat, uh, Jordan didn't seem to be part of the plans. I know that, you know, his dad has been a, in, in, an interesting uh, voice on social media, Um but, you know, you, you you can definitely see where some of the frustration is there. And then with the defense, I don't know how I, – I think recently I've I've tweeted a couple – there's a couple coaching uh, follows I have on there. And I think I tweeted, like, uh, Bennett giving a talk on, on the pack line. And I know you can't just wake up and decide to play the pack line. But in year six, the fact that Georgetown just can't defend the three, it, which is, you know, such a big part of basketball in 2023 – it's crazy. It, it's, <laughs> I mean, think about last year and how bad it was. That was historically bad. And right. that team finished 228 in Kempom defensively. And now you're at 281. I mean, this is like, you're the worst defense the Big East has ever seen. Um, yeah. It, it's just, it, and I think there was hope. And I think rightfully so. The start of the year with bringing Nickelberry. And I think the idea from that first set of games is, hey, we're going to try to press a little bit. We're going to switch everything, um, try to mirror what LSU did, which had a top 10 defense. And it's like like Brandon Murray played the most minutes on a defense that finished sixth nationally. Uh, Keith has been out a while now, but he was the key factor on a defense. I think that was top 50. Cook was at UConn. Like, it, it's just hard to understand how you can't do better than this. I mean, it's – they just – there's no structure. It's undisciplined. It, it really is mind-boggling that it's gotten to this level. Um, and you think about Ewing's first four years, I mean, it was never worse than 130-ish, I think. And now these past two years, it's just – it's – totally hopeless on that end of the court it, it's really astonishing it, it's astonishing too and obviously the Big East losing streak goes back to the last regular season game before the Big East tournament 
and they basically won the Big East tournament by playing defense at a pretty high level. But then the very next game against Colorado, you saw the worst, basically, performance that you could see in the worst, you know, situation, the NCAA tournament, you know, when you were a hot team coming in. You know, Jesse got a lot of, I think, flack from Hoya fans as far as, you know, maybe he's the problem defensively from the end of JT3 to the beginning of Patrick. Kudis Wahab came back. What were you expecting from Kudis and how has it gone? Has it gone the way you've expected? Has he surprised you and sort of he he seems to be a, a lesser player than he was when he left? Yeah, it, it's I don't know if last year just totally broke him confidence wise, um, but he's regressed. I mean, there's no way around it. You think about that defense two years ago that went on that run late. Yeah, And I wouldn't classify him as the anchor. I think the key to that was you had um, Belay and Pickett. And Pickett that you had those two at the forward spots where Tamarco was a long 6'9", and, and Tootie was an aggressive physical presence that really, I mean, I, I think him and Jamarco, that tandem really sparked that run as much as anything. And I kind of thought this year, okay, well, Q's back. A cook, a cook is a long 6'10 athlete and you added Murray you kind of don't have that same size at the small forward spot but you could kind of talk yourself in okay we're going to be big up front again um with that combo at the 4-5 and it just he's he's just lost on that end um and teams know it now I mean teams are going to attack him in ball screens there's no way around it and there's <laughs> and not to say it's it's only him causing the issues um he's not the root of it i think you could put anybody there and and the breakdowns on the back line of the defense would exist but that's actually a pretty good point because my next thing would be in the beginning of the season and for those for those of you that you know you georgetown makes the home um press conferences they put them up eventually if if marcus that we have on all the time doesn't post it um usually you can find it and in the beginning of the season i basically said you know, hey, Patrick, it looks like we're one game we're seeing Matumbo, the next game we're seeing Izawiro as, you know, the backup big. And I think Patrick said it was a coin flip, which was an interesting uh, answer. And, and then, you know, the coin has just kept, it's basically landed on, on heads, mm-hmm. you know, 10 straight games or something. It, basically, I think since the American game, we haven't really seen Matumbo play a meaningful minute. Um, do you think that there's anything differently they can do? Because it does sort of seem like to me, particularly at the end of the Villanova game when when you knew Dixon was just going to fake out Bradley, basically. It seems to me like maybe if you played Matumbo and you try to play a zone and just have Matumbo kind of be some version of Roy Hibbert where you're just you're just a big person. Uh, yeah. That, that said, it, it's, it just seems like maybe there is nowhere to go unless the Cook's playing the five. You tell me what's kind of, what would be the optimal uh, distribution of minutes or style or what are you seeing? I would try to play zone. I mean, what's the downside to it? <laughs> I mean, I, there is no downside. You're as bad as it gets. And you've seen, I've yet to see this team live the last two years. But from all accounts, Ryan is like a legitimate 7-2, isn't he? He is enormous human being. Yeah. So plug him in the middle of a zone and see if it works. I mean, there's a lot of things they could try. I'm not saying anything could work. But if you went to like a token, like one two two press, just to eat up time off the shot clock, you you know, just minimize that time you actually have to spend on that side of the floor. Yeah, and I think that's sort of an interesting point. 
have you seen because you know i i don't think i've seen it basically where you're you know you're on a 29 game big east losing streak you've lost 34 straight and whatever you, you, you can go back to the start of the season the losing streak was enormous then i feel like we haven't seen sort of like a completely oh my gosh we can't win let's just try something gimmicky mm-hmm. completely different just to get a win like like remember years ago when uh notre dame was in the big east they had a million injuries and you know bray went to like the burn offense i guess i yeah i feel like we haven't seen like something just you know what let's see if this sticks and i feel like that's maybe one of the more frustrating parts of a very frustrating overall situation it is and you know last year when ewing missed time um did he miss one game or two i just missed remember the, okay the butler game i think it was home that they actually did play zone for almost the majority. And yeah. it probably ended up being one of their better defensive values. The offense did nothing because I think Carey missed that game maybe. Carey, yeah, 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 you're right. Try something. Um, like you have to – I mean, like, yes, on Saturday, Duke. I'm sure John Shire has no interest in playing zone. But they couldn't guard Miami. He mixed in like a 1-3-1, like – you you have to try something. I mean, it, to me, there's just so much low-hanging fruit now with this program um, that, you know, not to get too far down the road, but assuming there's a new coach, there's just going to be so much stuff to pluck off. Like, hey, you didn't do this well. You didn't do that well. Like, it, and I, I think that you would be fair to be critical of the current coaching staff to not try something different. Um, it just feels like, we're going to roll the ball out. We're going to keep doing what we're doing and, and see if it works. And it, it clearly just does not work. It's not working. Um, and if it's going to work, if the streak is going to end, it seems like DePaul part two, you know, look, it's not probably not fair to DePaul to keep thinking of them, maybe in the terms that probably immediately pop up into my head, into your head, into a lot of people's heads. You know, DePaul, DePaul's legitimate right now, right? Like, you know, they're not good but they've shown that they can show up and beat legitimate teams. That's something Georgetown hasn't done since they beat a not great version of Syracuse last year. Right. So in this weird biggie schedule where, you know, you've already faced Xavier twice, you've already faced Villanova twice, you know, there's, you know, they haven't played Providence at all. They haven't played St. John's. What do you, what, what do you take away from the first meeting with DePaul and what do you think is the path to a win this time? I think they're just in a spot where they need Primo to just, I mean, Saturday was kind of the game you had to have to try to steal one where he just goes off and you score a ton and, but the defense just isn't there. I I think you have to count on DePaul not shooting the ball that well, which obviously is a possibility. Um, And I, Murray TBD, but, if he's in there too, just for him and Primo, just to make an inordinate amount of mid-range shots and knocking a few threes, um, just because I don't think you have any hope to rely on your defense really, aside from teams just missing wide-open shots. Yeah, that, that does seem to be a big part of it. I- Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. 
So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to cars.com. It's magical. I sort of feel like right now Ken Palm is being a little a little harsh to DePaul and maybe a little bit nice to Butler. I really feel like that's that's the game. That's kind of seg- segues into there's a bunch of new coaches in the league. What sort of is your takeaway? You don't have to get into depth on this, but you know, basically we've got Neptune at Villanova. We know about their struggles. You know, Mata's back at Butler. If you only watched the Georgetown Butler game, you'd probably think Butler's having a great season. That is yeah. not the case. We saw what Holloway had to say about his team the other day at uh, Seton Hall. Am I forgetting any new coaches? Miller, obviously Xavier is off to an incredible start, of course. Lucky for them, they've they've played Georgetown twice early. I am incredibly impressed with Sean Miller. Um, I don't know what he did in his time off, but that offense and the pace they play at is pretty incredible. They don't defend anybody, but they're going to outscore teams. Um, I, I think he just lumped Neptune and Holloway into the same category. Kind of weird situations for both of them to take over. Um, and Neptune hasn't had Justin Moore, and then he didn't have Whitmore for a while. And I, I just mentioned to this you um, that Holloway, I think he hates that team. Um, so he's certainly not uh, bashful about saying things about his players. Yeah. So I think he's going to want his own guys. And then the other end of the spectrum from Miller is I, I'm not sure if Thad Mata. I, seems to me maybe he'd like a redo on the stepping back into coaching um they just seem kind of lifeless and it's i think it's going to be a tough road for him um and then the second year guy i mean shaka what he's done is, is incredible same thing as xavier that offense is i think marquette's the number one rated offense in the country now what he's done i'd like to know what he did in his time off or when he switched jobs what i think there was a nice article on the athletic about um think somebody hired to that staff or at least somebody spoke to to kind of modernize what he was doing offensively and it's, it's clearly paid off it it has and um his you know the engine to his offense uh tyler kolick was the a10 rookie of the year here locally at george mason and I, I ended up going to a lot of their games and i was talking to their sid and i was just like man you know i just don't remember kolick being this this good yeah and he's like, well, you have to remember when he was here, you guys couldn't come. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's right. That's right. So it makes sense because, I mean, I'm going to be honest, you know, and I think it's, I think at some point on Twitter, just ask, you know, if you're a Georgetown fan and you're a college basketball fan, you have to be getting through this with like a side team. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. otherwise you're just, you're just going to walk away from the sport. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like there's just no, I mean, unless you're like an alum, that's just, just, all into everything because that's where you graduate. And if that's you, that's awesome. But at the same time, I think if you're a college basketball fan, like maybe like, you know, me or you growing up and you ended up with Georgetown for whatever reason, if you want to, you know, if you want to stay in the college basketball game and just have something in it, you have to kind of find a side team. And I really did not like Shaka at VCU. I thought it was, I mean, obviously beating Georgetown didn't help my opinion of them. But, you know, I felt what they did wasn't sustainable at a high level. And he kind of proved that at Texas, you know, the idea of four and five stars playing all scrappy. Like, that's not really mm-hmm. how the way they play now is just completely different from that. And I'm just wondering how much is Tyler Kolick, right? Like, how many guys are there? Because if you haven't watched Marquette play, and I wrote it in, like, the little preview that I do on the casual site. I mean, they're fun to watch. Yeah. I, and I think if you're a fan of college basketball, 
that a program like Marquette or Xavier, that's kind of what you're also holding on to for hope. Yeah. That, you know, I don't, a I don't non-football school. Has, yeah. And I don't think out of that entire Marquette rotation, I mean, there might've been one or two guys like on the fringes of top 100, but I think those are all, you know, 100 to top 150 guys. And they kind of filled in. There might be one or two transfers, but not many. Um, And Xavier, I mean, Miller just took over what Steele had there and he's totally flipped it. Um, So, yeah, I I, I think those are good examples of, hey, this thing can get turned around quicker than what it feels like right now. Well, you know, the one guy they've got, and I'll probably say his name wrong, but Oso, he's basically like Mm – it's kind of like, I feel like if he had been here, you know, if he'd been at Georgetown 10 years ago, he'd been like a great point forward type yeah. guy. Yeah. Um, and I feel like he's sort of having a Henry Sims, like all of a sudden, Hey, look, I exist. I'm doing pretty good. I mean, yeah. maybe yeah. That, cause that's, not, that's not totally fair. Cause he actually played okay last year, but I think his impact this year is just kind of unbelievable. Yeah. It's uh, it's really impressive what they've done. I mean, you just, you really can't stop that offense. Um, so Shaka deserves a ton of credit for, you know, adapting. And then Miller, too. Um, so, yeah, it's those were high-quality hires. Um, some people would debate if Georgetown could have had one or the other right now. But um, Well, yeah, I think, I think the thing, too, is to look at where other teams in your league, where do other teams make hires? Mm-hmm. Right. And obviously shock is a different situation. Um, and, you know, Miller was, you know, sitting out. Um, I'm not seeing any biggie schools going out and hiring high school coaches or guys that are known for coaching in high school or um, guys that are limited coaching experience as an assistant. You know what I mean? Like, like if you're a biggie yeah. school, you can't really cut your teeth in the beast and it's difficult to do that. I, I think, you, you know, obviously Neptune was kind of, like a program hire, but he had been, you know, he'd been there for a long time and he was at least, you know, he's part of college. He was coaching, you know, Fordham to a pretty, pretty good year. But I think it's important as what's happening at Georgetown and what looks to be almost, I mean, an absolute certainty at the end of the season, like where do other, where do your other neighbors basically do their grocery shopping? Yeah. And I think that's an important thing to look at as, you know, if you go on Twitter, if you go on the message boards, basically everyone's just left to sort of talking about, the future in a different direction. And I, you know, I think it's important to be realistic about where, where this league hires from. Yeah. I I think the big thing for Georgetown is you can't gamble this time. I mean, that's no, because you just, you, you just gambled. Yeah. And if you do it again and it fails, you are obsolete. You can't have another four years of of a failed hire. And I think Neptune's a great example who I think is going to be fine, but just on paper, lead assistant on two national championship teams handpicked by Jay Wright really for a year worked some miracles at Fordham and now he's really struggling I mean I think it just goes to show like for the position Georgetown is in now you cannot make a hire that has the potential to be graded an F like and I know there's some people out there who people would just probably classify as an okay hire a C plus if push comes to shove, you might have to go in that direction because you cannot make a big mistake that will cost you another three, four, five years. Yeah, the floor on your next hire has to just be 
yeah. you know, 500 in the league, you, you know, no worse than like eight and four. You know what I mean? Like you can't, mm-hmm. you, you, you can't, you know, people say, oh, you know, Georgetown basically exists because they hired a high school coach. Okay. Yeah, it's it's not 1972. It's... Okay, <laughs> like there's just so many issues with that idea, okay? And, and, you know, we're seeing where guys get hired from, and this can't be a learning-on-the-job situation. It's just too much to ask unless you find a way to get the perfect staff and not even mm-hmm. just the guys that are the guys that can recruit, but, like, down to your operations guy, your assistant, your video guy, like everything needs to be a home run if you yeah. take if if you make a risky hire and they're just not in that position right now. Um, no. And I I would devalue recruiting as much as ever right now. I would want somebody who knows how to work the portal, but as far as like when JT3 was battling it out in like 2007, 2008 for like four or five star guys who you knew would stick around 2, 3, maybe 4 years. Yeah prioritize local relationships, AAU scene, whatever. But I think in today's modern era now, you can flip rosters in one year and you need, I I think above all, you do need that safe floor of somebody who's operated a high major division one program and can actually coach what's out there on the floor. Yeah, I think it's going to be hard to disagree on that. So we kind of went over this when we talked about the coaches the Big East is kind of looking like a five-bid league. I think to get a six-team, you'd have to have St. John's, Seton Hall, or Villanova would have to do kind of like an Undertaker impression, right, where more more comes back and they just go on a run. Mm-hmm. What, what do you think about the league? I, I think there's a severe drop-off from that top five. Um, I, I, I would be surprised if anybody outside of that made a run. Yeah. And I think that top five really is, kind of on equal footing right now. I mean, what Ed Cooley's done at Providence these last two years is really impressive. Um, and then Creighton's had issues early on with Kalk Brenner and brutal schedule. They're kind of rounding into form. The computers and love U- them. Yeah. And UConn, I, I think UConn's going to be just fine. Um, they look like world beaters and then kind of got humbled here, but I think they're right up there. So I, I, I'm interested to see those top five battle it out. Um, but, yeah, I, I agree. I, I think you're staring at a five-bid league right now. Yeah, and I wouldn't have I wouldn't have thought Seton Hall is still in with a shout, basically. You know, yeah. I mean, they're right there. Like, they look like they're pretty bad. Even before the season started, they had a lot of injuries, and it seemed even before they even played one minute, it seemed like uh, Holloway was not really enthused with his group. Um St. John's is interesting. Um, so before I get to St. John's, so obviously Texas job, maybe the guy will keep it. He's doing a great job. We know that Notre Dame is going to be open. Bray, who I thought was probably one of the more likely candidates, you know, in the event that there was an open job in D.C. Mm-hmm. Looks like he's at least taken a year off. So I don't think Georgetown fans need to worry about that. And then St. John's, I mean, it's, you know, this if, if Mike Anderson doesn't get them to the tournament this year, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to take a little bit of a turnaround here. Um, they, you know, they really blew a game against Villanova the other night. Um, could have got them to four and five in the league instead of their three and six. If Mike Anderson doesn't make the tournament, it'll be his longest drought of missing a tournament at any of the schools that he's been at. Um, is that one of the concerns that you have out there? I know I see a lot of other people kind of, you know, uh, alluding to it or just flat out, you know, bringing it up. Like, look, if you're Georgetown, 
and you let this coaching uncertainty go for a while, there's other schools that could get ahead of you in the pecking order. In a vacuum, I'm concerned about Georgetown just in general of having their ducks in a row and being ready to go. Um, I mean, assuming they let Ewing finish this out, like I think what is the last day, March 8th is Wednesday of the first round of the Big East tournament. Yeah, and they're, like, they're, they're sort of weird too because obviously it's, it's an 11-team league. And so every mm-hmm. weekend somebody has to be off unless they play a non-conference. So Georgetown is actually they play midweek, and then they they're they're the only team that doesn't play on March fourth, which is the Saturday. Yeah. So it's it's kind of weird. I mean, we shoot we we we, we could do a whole seg a whole show on sort of the case study of what's happening here with just mm-hmm. everything, but it, it's almost like letting it go until the season's over is even extra weird because they they're off that final saturday yeah that is odd to me like that week you have to be ready to go and maybe your top target who eventually you end up with is going to coach throughout the postseason so nothing will get formalized until who knows could be april but you need to be ready to go so in that sense i'm worried um now if they handle things accordingly i'm not really worried about st john's because i would value the Georgetown job higher than I would St. John's. I think I'm not sure what they're paying Anderson. I, I would think Georgetown pays better. I think facilities and I, I'd rather recruit the DMV I, history. I, I just think Georgetown's a better job. Um, all things equal. Now Georgetown, the administration, like, okay, we're actually going to clean house. We're going to separate from the Thompson's and Ewing's this is a new day, like that has to be part of the package. So if, if you get beat by St. John's to a candidate, to me, that tells me, okay, you didn't get things in order the way you were supposed to. You didn't come with a competitive offer. So in that sense, I'm worried about Georgetown, but as far as another job opening, um, Notre Dame or St. John's, like as long as you do what you're supposed to do and make it an attractive place to be, I, I think you went out um, obviously short of like Texas or, Maybe Louisville opens this year. Who knows? Like, okay, you're you're not going to win those um, if you're after the same candidate. But a school in this conference like St. John's, I I wouldn't be worried going head up with them. Just it's just make sure you have things in order. Yeah, I mean, obviously it's a Georgetown podcast, so it would make sense that we would both agree that Georgetown's a better job than St. John's. But I don't have any doubt in that it's a better job for a bunch of reasons. I mean, it does, you know, which with every game, it gets further and away from Georgetown being a better program than St. John's, I suppose. But I just think that when you you got the Thompson Center, you know, recruiting locally doesn't mean that you get every recruit. It just means that you get like some, mm-hmm. <laughs> you, you know, and I think it's. I think it's it's a great spot, and I think it's better than St. John's. But yeah, you know, I think I think if you're a Georgetown fan, I think that you want Mike Anderson to get as close to 500 as possible. Yeah, and think about if you're a head coach and you're looking at the two situations. Okay, Mike Anderson, very underwhelming four years, but somewhat competitive, and he got fired after four years. Where if you're a candidate and you look at Ewing and you're like, okay, he lost, it's going to be maybe 30 some odd big east games in a row and it took that to get him fired like the job security's here and there's not much pressure so i think beyond even recruiting location facilities like that job security and 
not much pressure. I, I think that has to weigh in Georgetown's favor as well. Yeah, and I think I think actually what now I've got their Ken Palm page up. I think what Mike Anderson's done at St. John's is sort of what I would consider to be the worst case scenario for any program. And that is you kind of like he's basically his four years there have kind of been like the last two years of JT three where you're mm-hmm. Ken Palm 60 some team, right? Where yeah. that's, that's not bad, but it's also not good enough, right. To get to where you want to get, yeah. basically get to the tournament. And I think that that's actually like a worse place to be in. Now what Georgetown finishes yeah. this year is just going to, it's not even, you know, paint touches always puts up these graphs and, you know, Georgetown's at the bottom. I mean, it's like, you can't even see where they are, but, I think I think worst case scenario is being a team that's like I don't know 60 70 80 Ken Palm and the coach does yeah. enough every year to kind of make a case to mm-hmm. stay but you know that you're just so far from it. Um well yeah, I a good example of that is would you rather be Georgetown or Pittsburgh right now where Jeff Capel was pretty much left for dead at the end of last year and now is kind of they've played well, they're 6 and 3 in the ACC but as a Pitt fan you have to know he's taking you nowhere, but he might be doing well enough to save his job. And I guess if you're a Georgetown fan, the way to look at it is, okay, well, the Band-Aid is at least getting ripped off in 40-something days. Um, So, I I mean, nobody's happy we've lost this many games in a row, but I I do agree there are actually worse scenarios out there to, to be in the midst of. And it's funny because this is usually like an NBA conversation. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, it's usually, well, you know, you don't have the guy, but you're not tanking. Um, you know, and obviously there's no tanking in in college. You don't, you, you don't get multiple five stars because you've been tanking. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, you know, Capel, uh, ACC wins three, six, six, six. He's six every year, and then he already had six this year. Um, and I, so Pitt could basically think- lose out, and he would have he would he would match his – his high water mark for wins. And the odd thing, and I think Koya breakdown the Twitter account. Um, he had mentioned this, that the depths that we've hit, how bad it's gotten has actually kind of kept this program's name um, out there and kind of a buzzword, not in a good way, but no. you probably are getting more recognition right now than you would have if you were going four and 14 in the league the last two years. Yeah, and that is one of the things, too, to look at and say, you know, if Seton Hall was on a 29-game losing streak, would people care? I mean, probably not. And at some point, you have to do something because the people that care, not to be morbid, you know, people don't live forever, right? So, you know, we're always going through cycles of, like, where you kind of fit. But, like, the people that are still in charge of, you know, making headlines and writing stuff, they all still remember Georgetown being good. Um, Mm -hmm. But you have to, every couple of cycles, you know, feed back into that or all of a sudden, you know, you become DePaul. Because DePaul didn't used to always be like this. You know, like when I was a kid, they were on like the tail end of mattering and now they've just become a joke forever. And Mm -hmm. that goes back to what you said about the coaching hire. You can't really take a chance because you really do risk becoming DePaul. Yeah. Um, No, you you had your free roll like in 2017. It was like, okay we stagnated, you know, at, at that point, you're two years removed from a second round appearance. Like you moved on from JT three cause you needed to get back to being a top 20 program who could make a deep run in March. And you took a swing and it failed. And I think you've cornered you're in a position now where there are no gambles. You need 
a lock of a hire. Yeah. I mean, whoever on the board, you know, got that going at that time, I know the boards change over time, but the ambition, and I think we're on the different sides of it. I probably wouldn't have made that move. It sounds like you were ready. And I'm I'm not ready to argue that because he definitely wasn't doing good enough, but they showed a, a ton of ambition in 2017 um and they haven't you know showed like i don't know a, a, a tenth of that basically um so it'll be interesting well Nolan, it was good to have you on i know that you do need to get out of here um somehow we just haven't been doing as many pods recently i've been doing a lot of the go over what the other schools reporter uh thinks of where georgetown is and kind of preview that game but we got to do some more of these and uh you know even though georgetown's losing i think the pods are going to get a little more interesting as we kind of get towards the biggest thing that can happen to the program. Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, you can get him at nationwide Nolan. I'm at Bobby Bancroft subscribe to the podcast, probably some information coming out the podcast sometime soon. Um, We'll get to that when we have more information, but until then keep subscribing, keep liking, and we'll keep putting out episodes. Uh, Nolan. Thanks a lot, man. Thanks Bobby.